Everybody, 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 drop your Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we are here recapping episode seven of The Challenge USA. Evan, thoughts on the episode? Well, I want to throw to a clip which uh, uh, sort of can illuminate my thoughts on the episode. In regular life, I am a very good driver. I drive my wife Kiki around everywhere because she is the opposite. She's a horrible driver. So she would know that I am probably the best driver on the road. So I think that it's fair to say we are seven for seven on Kiki references thus far. Someone can fact check me. But like, it's funny because I watch it now sort of waiting for the Kiki moment in each episode. And I am fulfilled each and every time. And that got me thinking, you know, we call her the 29th cast member. We've been talking about her quite a bit. So, (laughs) (laughs) So I figure... Let's let's hear from the 29th cast member, Kiki McRae. Hey, it's Kiki, Danny's wife, a.k.a. the 29th cast member of The Challenge USA. I am loving this version of The Challenge, but you know what I would love more? A fucking daily win from Danny. So he better get onto it or you already know what's going to happen. Danny's, she's going to drive Danny somewhere is what's going to happen. Hello. Exactly. And what's funny is she recorded this for me before this week's episode. So the whole time I'm watching it thinking, cause they set it up in a way where it seemed like Danny was going to win. And so I was like, oh my God, Danny's gonna win. This, vo- this voice memo is going to be outdated. Um, but surely not. Anyway, what did I think? I had a great time. I There are a couple holes which we'll get to, um, but this is a show that I've discovered that like even episodes that aren't terrific, I still enjoy watching front to back. What about you? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed this episode. Definitely, there's some, I have some lingering questions, especially around Leo's FaceTime call with his girlfriend, which we will talk about. But overall, like, I loved this daily challenge. It was so good. And I'll go into more detail on that. But I also just thought, like, we got sort of like an evolution of the strategy for the season where suddenly we're seeing people want to go into the arena. They want to go up for elimination because it's getting down to crunch time. And some people don't have their money, Sarah Lucina, and they want to earn it. So I find that aspect really interesting. And and the partner aspect is like certainly throwing that off because obviously not everybody wants to go into the arena and put themselves potentially up for elimination. So I found this episode pretty gripping and like all the strategy talk, although it amounted to very little, I thought was really, really fascinating. So I was all in this episode. Yeah, same. But but to your point, I do think we got a little overly strategy heavy mm-hmm. this episode um, because also to your point, so little of it paid off that sometimes I'm like, wow, the show does such a great job of like showing you all the possible outcomes so that you truly don't know what's going to happen. But when so many of those outcomes don't come to fruition, you do sort of wonder, did we need to spend so much time on misleads or just things mm-hmm. that like didn't go anywhere? And then also, and we've talked about this on several episodes, the show tends to like not resolve things from its past. For instance, Kira was very sick last week in last week's episode. And then this week, not only is she completely fine, but there's no mention even to say like, Uh, It's been a few days and I'm feeling better, but like that was such a big plot point last episode that it made us concerned around who she was going to be partnered with this week and whether or not that would impede their game. And they just completely dropped that plot altogether. Wow, I completely forgot that Kira was sick. I forgot that Kira was a cast member until this episode. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I can understand that. Well, also, funny enough, Kylan have, having conversations with Dom and Kayla and not even including Kira in the strategizing whatsoever, I thought was very, very interesting. Just sort of underlining your point about her not really being a part of the cast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's get into it because we have the algorithm possibly for the last time based on the end of this episode where TJ announced that he is tired of the algorithm. So uh, we get uh, some, I I don't know that we have a lot of interesting pairings except for 
Tyson, and Sarah. Okay, but too little too late. I feel like they missed the opportunity on this one because there was no payoff to this whatsoever. Mm. We had mentioned it. The, you know, after that huge moment two episodes ago where we end and it's like Sarah's munching on the meat and it's like that ostensibly that's what she's going to do to Tyson. And then we sort of talked last week about how there was like very little aftermath to that. I felt like there was none. You felt like there was a little bit. But then we have this pairing this week and at this point it just seems like so water under the bridge. It seemed like a huge missed opportunity and there was just very little to it. They clearly, Sarah clearly has moved on. I know in the scenes for next week, there might be more to this plot line, but I just think it was such a bummer that we didn't get this pairing last week as opposed to this week. I don't think it really resulted in anything particularly interesting. Uh, I disagree about it not resulting in anything interesting. I thought there were some really, really great moments between Tyson and Sarah, but would it have been stronger last week? Yeah, of course, of course. And one of the interesting things about the concept of the game, which, I mean, we always knew this, but I didn't think I'd thought about it so much, was that, like, Sarah can drag Tyson into the um, arena, I'll think I'll remember it one day, into the arena, and basically she either gets, if, if she had been selected, she either gets her money or gets to go out and take out Tyson in doing so. So I thought like that could have been a vindicating sort of reality, obviously a bummer not to, to win, but at least to go out with your biggest competition, I think would be, would have been an interesting way that things could have gone. Yeah, I really liked after they were paired together that we had some great confessionals like Tyson saying, do I genuinely like her? I mean, I don't hate her. And I just thought, I just thought the timing of that was great because him saying, I mean, I don't. I, they could have just cut it off. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that would have been great. I don't love that response though because it's kind of like, I don't believe him. I think mm. he does actually like her. Hmm, Really? I do. I I will be Well, he very says interested. I don't hate her. Right. I don't know. I guess I'm very interested in the postmortems with Tyson and with Sarah. And even more interesting, I've been thinking about this too cuz you know, you and I as always have the Survivor Legends season on our mind, and it's likely that the two of them would come back again. Would they would this be a fact, or not even just the legend season, if Tyson and Sarah are to ever play the game together again, I know pretty unlikely, but like, would this ever be a factor? It just made me wonder. Or I think the it challenge, would. or the challenge all-stars, I'm, I'm assuming mm. a lot of these players are going to jump over the challenge. Like this to me has legs for an ongoing plot. Yeah, I think it would. And in some way, I feel like this whole experience would bond them together. Like, I feel like despite the fact that they are at odds with each other in this game, I feel like there's probably a level of respect between the two of them for how hard they're going at it. And in other circumstances, they could work together. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go to the house, as I call it, uh, where Kylan is feeling good about being with Angela, but also thinks that he's probably got a big target on his back because Angela's been close to Tyson. And this is interesting because of all the strategy stuff that happened this week, I felt like the most interesting was surrounding Angela, who ha like honestly hasn't been a huge character this season, but she's been really integral to the strategy. And it all goes back to this first week where she was paired with Tyson and they became the first winners and they built this sort of like alliance with each other. And I feel like there's just been this, I don't quite know where she stands in terms of relationships in the house because it seems like people are always looking to come after her, but she manages to squeak by week after week with this win under her belt. And you know, like, unless something goes terribly wrong, I, I see Angela in the final. I definitely see Angela in the final. And this is where I get, and maybe my brain just doesn't move fast enough, but this is where I get a little, a little bit confused with, like, strategy in a game like this. Because I understand that her and Tyson are working together week one and then sort of strike up a steal to continue working together. But when you have a strategy like that's multiple players, like, we're, we're led to believe in this episode that Kylan is in this alliance with them, which we've never even heard about until this episode, which is interesting. It's also a cross show alliance that like was never like sort of spoken as spoken of as such, which I think is significant given the fact that we spent so much time talking about being survivor strong. But within all of that, 
does it really, again, I, I don't know how the final works, but like, does it really benefit someone like Angela to have Kylan and Tyson in the final? Like, it feels like you'd kind of want to cut them off towards the end, a la what happens on Survivor, um, because they're going to be your biggest competition. You would think at this point, Angela might be looking at someone like Leo and being like, I want to keep Leo in the game. I mean, granted, you don't want to get paired with him. I, I guess it's tricky, but... Or if the competition is gendered in any way, as it's been right now with like the pairings and everything, I wonder if you're thinking, like, if I'm Angela, I'd want to get Sarah Lucina out of there. Yeah, I just realized that I misspoke here because I got the pairing wrong. Kylan is not with Angela. Kylan is with Kira, of course, because they go into the arena in the end. Enzo is with Angela. I didn't even pay attention to you, Miss. <laughs> <laughs> But, okay, so forget everything we just said. But yeah. I do think that, like, this Kylan thing is interesting because you talk about the alliance between... So it may have been that, like, Kylan was talking about... My notes are sloppy. It might be that Kylan was just talking about his alliance with Angela because it comes up later, and you're saying that this was never really talked about, and it wasn't, as far as I'm aware. The only thing that I can think of is that there was that uh, sort of, like, throwaway line last episode or the episode before where they talked about this winner's alliance. It was just sort of like mentioned that winners aren't going against each other. And I think that when Kyland gets put into the arena in this episode is the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that a winner has taken a shot at another winner. Kyland's not a winner. Kyland has won a challenge. Oh, sorry. I think I'm in a winner of their show. I know. I sorry, know, I know. sorry, We've been sorry, this. sorry, sorry. <laughs> I mean, oh so the, so I think that there's been like an either <laughs> it's either unspoken or just unshown that the winners have like protected themselves and each other. Okay. So then we get some Sarah and Tyson content here. They have a little chat. I thought it was funny. Like, I thought it was cute that they're having this chat together where both of their guards are so heavily up that they're just sort of being like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. We're all good. Everything's great. And it's interspersed with their confessionals about how they're actually not great. But the question is, are they actually not great? Or did a producer come in and post and say, hey, we need to amp this up. This this felt very housewivesian to me, which is when the scene itself has very little drama, but then you get the confessional of being like, I'll forgive her in this moment, but I'm not gonna forget her and she better watch her back. Like, which is like, we have that all the time on Housewives and that's how this felt, which is like, it felt a little bit Frankenstein in the sense of like, it seemed like in the scene itself, everything was good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I did feel like I could just read. I feel like Tyson is more chill and more go with the flow than Sarah is because I do feel like Sarah is harboring resentment against Tyson, which is fair enough because he did put her into the arena. Uh, But I feel like she is not going to let down her guard with Tyson. Okay, so let's get to the Leo FaceTime call because I have so many questions where, first of all, I was shocked that I was like, oh, are they doing family visits? Like, is this a thing that happens on the challenge where they get to FaceTime their loved ones at home to like check in on them because they've got a whole room dedicated to it Mm -hmm. and certainly an iPad that is recording the conversation so they can put them on TV. But that was not the case. It was just Leo going to talk to his girlfriend And it was so confusing because she's talking about how everything's going to shit back at home without actually like without actually going into the details. So we're just like left with a lot of questions. She's talking about how his businesses are suffering. I'm like, what are his businesses? The credit card stopped working. The machines aren't working. People are using their phone. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. He's got employees. I rewatched this scene to try to get to the bottom of it. And I realized, because I was like, I don't know what his businesses are. Like, I'm going to have to research this guy to figure it out. But he does say in the scene that he has three bars, okay? I heard, like, when the first time I heard that, I thought he had three bars on the iPad. Like, <laughs> like, th- <laughs> like three bars of service. And I was like, well, what does that matter? It looks perfectly fine to me. Um, but uh, upon a rewatch, it's clear that he has three bars, and that those are his businesses. And he says that he's lost $43,000 in a weekend. How is that even possible? Yeah, and then uh, among the questions, uh, had Leo left, 
what would have happened. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we we hear from Alyssa that she wants him to stay because she basically is under the impression that if Leo goes, she will be out of the game. I cannot imagine that that would actually be the case. So I'm really curious how production would have handled Leo's exit. Also, it was sort of weird that it's like Leo's explanation at the end of the episode was like basically stating that he was staying for Alyssa. But it's like, well, but but where did your debt go? Because like that 43000 remains gone. And if that 43000 was enough to have you ready to literally he, his bags were packed. He was ready to leave the game. One can feel bad that it's impacting Alyssa, but also recognize that they have no choice in the matter. It just was like strange to get a sense of like how serious this was because staying for Alyssa, if your girlfriend is on the phone or wife was a girlfriend? Something. Something telling you that everything's going to shit and you pack your bags. I don't think hearing from a fellow cast member who you've known for a few weeks and are, and by the way, they're not even partners for the whole game. They're partners for that week alone. This is not like blood versus water. You know what I mean? It's just strange to me that it's like, that's the thing that kept him there when his girlfriend explicitly stated she wants him to come home. So this really wasn't like a hero arc for Leo. Um, But it did remind me, too, of, like, again, going back to, like, the Kira was sick last week, she's fine now. It's, like, this very much feels like one of those plots where, like, they introduced it for this episode, and I feel like it will not be mentioned again. Well, it almost wasn't even resolved because it was, like, they cut to commercial on, like, will he, won't he leave? And then they come back, and it's the Daily Challenge, and he's there, right? Right. And I think we do get some comment about, like, well, I could win $500,000, and that would go, like, a long way in terms of repairing the damage that's happened at home. Like what he's going to do to fix his bars floundering, I don't know. It just, the whole thing was very confusing to me. Okay, and also, if, if it was about 50000 right? Mm-hmm. And so he would get 150000 What do you get if you win? You get $500,000. Oh, you get $500,000. I'm just saying, I feel like there's multiple weeks that are still left in this game. That number is only going to go up. Then you have to factor in taxes out of that $500,000. I'm just saying at the end of the day, is the loss worth the gain? Well, there are weeks for us, but these rounds last sometimes one day and at most two days. I'm just saying, if if you're losing money in a situation like that, every day you stay ostensibly, you are losing more money. I hear you. Like, I just think that when you, honestly, it's like Leo's business needs a strategy. I'm kind of surprised he didn't give up in the, in the arena challenge. Right. Like he stuck it out. But right. It doesn't, something don't add up. Something in the Right, and then for cream. him to be so overjoyed when he won the challenge because he's then staying is sort of like, yeah, again, I think, I think we, we needed just like a follow-up call with the girlfriend being like, or just to get her like approval, like him calling, hey, I just won the challenge. I'm one step closer to getting the money. I'm willing to pull out if you absolutely need me to, which it sounds like she needed him to, but are you okay with it? And for her to give the sign off, because otherwise it's kind of like, Leo, it sounds like you kind of left your family high and dry. Well, we've got Danny who's playing for Kiki. Leo is not playing for whoever that girl was. No. (laughs) And it almost sounds like she was not in support of him leaving to begin with. The girlfriend? Oh, like yeah. the, to go on to the challenge. Yes. Mm. She did not seem like a happy camper. No. And it's interesting. If I were too her that... watching this, I would be cringing. Well, I wonder too how that worked from the production side because how was she able to get through to him? Because, you know, you don't have contact with your loved ones while you play these games. Did she basically call production and say, there's an emergency here, I need to speak to Leo? And why did production deem it the kind of emergency that should play out on FaceTime versus a private phone call off camera? Yeah, and what is that room? What is that room we've never seen with an iPad? Like, that is a built room. So, like, clearly people can FaceTime. Maybe. Yeah, you're right. I just think about, like, everything that's, like, it just seemed like a a conversation a little too personal for a show like this that's so focused on, like, game. Like, this isn't a show that really does a ton of focus on the interpersonal. So that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's get to the Daily Challenge because I really, really liked this one. It was called Recreational Driving, where the teams... (laughs) The teams have to drive a car that has 
the four balls attached to the outside, like these four balloons that are filled with whatever, paint or dust or something. Uh, and they're in this sort of like arena. Uh, the driver has to be blindfolded and the passenger is instructing them on where they should be driving. And their goal is to pop the balloons on the other cars or not wreck their car, right? So it's basically, I think what most people call this is a demolition derby. Uh, I grew up in a rural small town in Ontario. We called it a smash up derby and it was the event of the year. (laughs) Uh, Did you ever go to a demolition derby? No, I have no familiarity. I know monster truck racing. Yeah, different, different. different. So this is literally annually we would get together. People would find junky cars, basically strip them. They looked like, I mean, the ones on the challenge were like nice, but typically you would just find a junky car, strip it of everything except the driver's seat, and then go in and just smash the other cars in the arena until only one car is left running. And it's sounds dangerous, but like because you're in this like little little, little arena, and I felt this played out in the challenge a little bit. You you can only go so fast because you're confined to a certain space. But uh, this this was huge. Uh, one one year, my stepdad won the Smash Up Derby, so, so we had a trophy in our house. And so th- this is a part of my heritage. Um, so I really, really liked this challenge. I really liked that they were blindfolded. I felt like it led to a lot of great moments. The only complaint I have is that it seems too easy to wreck the car. So you had these moments uh, like Leo and Alyssa smashing into sort of like the side of the arena, the sandbank, and because their car couldn't move, like they barely got an, a, an opportunity to try to get it out of it because then it just spews black smoke out the back and that means yeah. that you're disqualified. And it seemed like that happened a lot and it happened too easily. Like there was one team that just ran over one of the barrels and it was just like, you're done. Yeah, so I did not love this challenge. Uh, no disrespect wow. to your heritage, but I felt as someone that's not familiar with, do you call it a sport? <laughs> I wouldn't call it a sport. Okay, as someone unfamiliar with the game or whatever, I felt it a little confusing to understand the level of difficulty because there'd be moments where they'd be like, left, 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 left. And I'm thinking, you are hitting the gas on a car, like just saying left, left, left. To me, it just seemed very difficult to have someone blindfolded and to give them any sense of like, having to get it, hit another car while someone's blindfolded by simply saying left, right, like, that just feels incredibly difficult. And I also didn't, because they didn't really zoom, like to give us that wide of a shot, I had no idea how big the course was. Um, yeah, I, and I just, I, I think I needed a better handle of like what this would actually feel like and level of difficulty. And I guess you could argue, well, half the things they do, I've never done and don't know what that feel like. But I just, I had a hard time understanding like strategically how one would be good at this. Oh, wow. I was all in i was like laughing i was texting people about it i was like they're doing the smash up derby on the challenge um i couldn't believe it and there was like so many great little lines here where they had like like kyland for example this is old hat for kyland because he frequently drives with his eyes closed he said he he said he's often driven while his friends cover his eyes which um that's concerning. I think we should get Sarah Lucina on that case because that's dangerous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or Tony, we also have you know Sarah's you know there right now, so maybe she can call. Tony yeah, maybe Tony and can, can keep team. an eye on on yeah. Island. <laughs> well, she's in the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Or you're for anyone listening that's watching Big Brother this season. There was this one contestant, a very big villain named Nicole, and it was like a day or so before. She knew she was like being ousted. No, sorry. One of her alliance members was being ousted and she pulled him aside and she goes, I have to tell you something. Like, you know, if you're gonna be leaving, I want you to know like, you know, the real me. And she's like, I was a cop for 10 years. (laughs) And it's like supposed to be like this huge reveal. And it's just like, okay. Yeah. I don't get that. That's a very lot of cops on these shows. Yeah, cops are very... it's very Cagayan where Tony didn't want anybody to know he's a cop, and Sarah was like, "I can, I can see a cop from a mile away." Yes, she can. 
Um, well, Sarah felt right at home because she's a cop. She made a comment about how she's used to driving under these conditions. Just all she needed was for somebody to hand her a gun at this point, And she was right at home. Uh, <laughs> uh, is Sarah still a cop? I think so. So she, it's just like. Or is she a professional reality show contestant? Well, it is interesting to think about like how many of these people, the ones that go on a show like a Survivor and a Big Brother and are successful, win money. Um, what the, like, yeah, do they just go? I mean, of course, yeah, they've got to go back to their lives. Yeah, like post tax, she got six hundred thousand dollars. Like, I don't think that that goes that far in terms of like, I don't right. think you can quit your job. It's a lot of money, right. but I don't think you can quit your job. So she's a cop. I, she oh, wait, was, I did want to ask, though, for anyone listening that are like the longtime challenge uh, fans, I'm curious, you know, on Big Brother and, and also on Survivor, there are like these like, you know, for instance, uh, on Survivor, it's no longer on the game. But at one time there was the gross food challenge or thinking or is, is there a, did they change the name of it over time or it was just no, it was ended. OK, great. And then on Big Brother, you have like the wall challenge or Otev. Are there are there challenges on the challenge that are sort of like signature challenge challenges that players come on and they're like, oh, I can't wait to do the blah, blah, blah. I'm yeah. just curious. I think that there are because I've been trying to like keep up with, I've tried to do my research. I've tried to keep up with other recaps to see like, okay, are they going to give some insight into how the challenge works? And it seems like people refer to challenges as if they're like standard challenges. So, mm. uh, but I would love to hear if any that we've seen so far are standard challenges. And if they like put a twist on them, that is very interesting. Like, do they do the smash up derby often or do they not? Uh, what else do we have here? So I, um, I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say. A lot of teams just get disqualified. Like I said, the last remaining team is Dominic and Kayla, who managed to take out Justine and Danny um, because their car seems to have basically just stopped working. And so Dom and Kayla are the winners. So I was curious how they were going to determine the losers of the challenge. And ultimately, it just turned out to be uh, Leo and Alyssa, who were just the first ones to have their car wrecked. Which is so unfair because basically how you could have approached this was just sort of like drive around and not go after anybody and just wait for other people to get out. Yeah. Is there a world in which, because most of those balloons are on the back of the car, can you just back yourself into the corner and sit there? Right. Exactly. Just wait it out. Yeah. Interesting. So I thought that that was a weird way to determine. I thought like maybe if the cars got stuck or whatever, they could still get hit. And maybe just the first with all mm. their balloons popped is the loser. And maybe that was the case. I just felt like we didn't get an explanation as to why Leo and Alyssa, because we had other people who were disqualified and talked about how, oh, well, I hope this doesn't land me in the arena. So um, which makes the me rules think- were confusing. Yeah, and I do think that, like, one thing I would be interested in in future seasons is, like, so I'm currently watching The Challenge season 13, um, and which I have a lot of issues with sort of, like, the gameplay, like, the rules and whatnot, but one of the rules that they do is they do, like, a schoolyard pick as to who goes into the gauntlet, and so the last per- the last team remaining, and it's, like, so this conceit is basically, like, the loser of the challenge, and then the winner of the challenge picks the other loser. I wonder if there are just other formulas in terms of, like, determining, like, if it could be a vote by all of the non-losers of the challenge who the other person going in is. Like, I think, I wonder if there's other frameworks by which to determine, you know, who goes mm-hmm. in and if that could, if that's something they would ever, like, consider changing up. Because one thing that we've noticed in a lot of these challenges is that, like, the loser... For instance, in challenges where they're DQ'd, it's like, well, they didn't really get to compete in the challenge. So it's not that they, you know what I mean? Like, I just think yeah. that sometimes the loser is not really the loser so much as the person that just like had some bad luck. Yeah, totally, totally. So going into the strategy here where we have Dom and Kayla as the winners and Leo and Alyssa as the losers. And obviously Dom and Kayla have to choose somebody to go into the arena to face Leo and Alyssa. Uh, Angela isn't feeling great about it because she sent Dom into elimination the last time that she won. And she feels like she has a target on her back. Plus she's paired with Enzo, who we got some information on in the past couple of weeks, despite him not really being on the show. Uh, There seemed to be a general consensus that Enzo kind of sucks. And so... 
Uh, she just wasn't feeling great and she was going to haul ass in these strategy sessions. So uh, back at the house, Dom and Angela have their sit down with Leo and Alyssa and Leo reassures them that he's in it to win it. He's here. He needs the $500,000 to get his credit cards working again. And uh, once again, though, the losers don't want to put out a name. And this is starting to get annoying to me because this is like the third week in a row where the losers are sitting with the winners and they do not want to throw a name out there because they don't want it to come back and hurt them in the future that, oh, you threw so-and-so under the bus and now I'm going to come a- come after you. I don't like this environment that's being created where the teams like can't authentically talk to each other yeah but then you also wonder too like what is the formality around these meetings or is that part of the is that something like the producers sort of like organize and say hey you have to meet in this room and have this talk because on survivor it's kind of like yes you can obviously go back to camp and talk to whoever you want and campaign and whatnot but you're not required to have conversations with you know whether it be the an alliance of any kind or the immunity holder whatever so i just think it's strange that this is this like mandated by production because to your point it's like it's seldom a very fruitful conversation and also it completely makes sense why why the majority of the time people aren't going to want to throw out a name because it very easily can come back and bite them so why not just withhold and at the end of the day you putting out the name, they're not necessarily going to listen unless you have like a really strong argument or leverage as far as like, if you put them in, I will do this. But again, it's all sort of talk. And a lot of these people don't know each other. So trust is not something inherent. And as we've seen, people that had trust going into the game lost trust through their some of their actions. So these scenes tend to be some of the slowest for me. Yeah, it does seem like a formality to me, just the fact that every time we come back from a daily challenge, we have to see the winners sit down with the losers. And just given how little the losers now at this point in the game are actually giving the winners in order to like influence their decisions, it just seems it just seems like something that they're being forced to do. I thought it was interesting that conversation between Angela and Kayla because Angela was very forthright in saying, you've never been on my radar, which is like, Angela was clearly saying that as a, this is a strong case that I am making to you. But to me, the viewer hearing that, I was kind of like, well, that's kind of rude. Like I am a contender in this game. And you're (laughs) saying like, basically you're saying you don't give a fuck about me. That is not giving me it might reassure me in this in this moment or whatnot, but it's like I would not take that as I did not think that was a smart move on Angela's part. Um, it also sort of had a little bit of a god complex to it, where it's Angela's like, you know me, I run this game, and as someone running this game, you're not someone I pay attention to, and it's like, okay, thanks. That is very much the impression I'm getting. It seems like everybody who talks about Angela, who is not Tyson or I guess Kylan at this point, is frustrated with her either because of her ego or uh or because of her botox if you're shan um everybody seems to have a problem with angela and i think that there is like a little bit of a superiority complex and it might have been like winning that first week and sort of like being on this pedestal but it does seem like she plays favorites a little bit and to come in and have that conversation with Kayla. And we got lots from Kayla about how, you know, she doesn't even talk to me and same with Kyland, right? Like that ultimately is the reason that Kayla uh, uh, decides to put Kyland and Kira in is that uh, on one hand, Kyland is aligned with apparently aligned with Angela and Tyson. But also she taught, we get multiple confessionals from Kayla saying there are certain people in this house who have never talked game with me. And two of them are Angela and Kylan. And now that I'm in this position to make a decision, all of a sudden they want to talk game with me and make deals. Mm. But again, it's like, what is talking game in a game like this? Because you only really get to play the game if you're one of the winning pairs and those pairs change every week. So you can't even determine if the someone that you might be playing with might be paired with someone who's your enemy and you can never determine that. And then on top of that, you have the money of it all. So your enemy might not have any money in their bank account. So might not even qualify. So might not even be worth taking out. I just think that like, Sure, there can be a strategy in this game, but to say that you can like have an alliance or be working with people, you just really can't. Like, I understand that you want to be in the good graces of some people in the event that they win so that they don't have your eyes on you, but like, 
all this talk of sort of like we're working with, working against, it just doesn't really add up to me. Because at the end of the day, say Sarah Lucina, for instance, right now, Sarah Lucina is powerless. She's not going to the final and she has no way of getting money because it, look at this situation. Dom, even she goes to Dom and is like, will you put me in? And Dom says no. Like she is being blocked from having any kind of power. So to be aligned with Sarah, what is that getting you? I actually would say it's smart to be aligned with Sarah because you can work with her. And if she wins, you're in her good graces. And if she loses, she's not going to the finals. So you, don't, you don't even have to deal with her there. Well, that's just it. I think that that's the game. I don't think it's complicated. Fair. It's not complex like a Big Brother or like a Survivor. Um, oh I God, think it's it's almost more complex. on <laughs> it's almost more on par maybe with the Amazing Race, where it's like okay, like I just need to build relationships here, and if I have good relationships with people, they will do favors for me, and I will be able to do favors for them. And that's kind of the extent of it. So it's just the fact that Angela, I mean, like that's that's the basis of this Tyson, Angela, Kyland alliance is that they say, look, we, we have mutual interest here. We like each other. We can help each other by if one of us wins, we're not going to put the other up for elimination unless like that's something we want. Like you can kind of get your uh, favors cashed in if you have those alliances. But the alliances certainly don't have the power that they have in a survivor or a big brother. I think. That makes sense. And so the problem you're seeing here, the hole in Angela's game, which I don't know if Tyson has the same problem. I, I like I haven't gotten the sense that people are really out for Tyson in the way that they seem out for Angela. And I think that that has to come down to relationships. Just the way that we see people talk about Angela is not on par with the way that people talk about Tyson. So... We also get this conversation between uh, Tyson and Sarah, where Tyson tells Sarah that he hears that people have been being have been asking to be put into the arena, and Sarah's like, "Oh, well, who would who would do that?" And then we get a flashback of Sarah <laughs> pitching to Dom that, "Well, you could put us in, and then I'll be able to take some money and potentially qualify for the final, and uh, and sort of keep Tyson shaking, right?" Um, so that was interesting. And then we see Kylan sit down with Dom and Kayla, and he makes this sort of pitch where he says, look, I'm feeling good about my odds if me and Kira go into the arena, but if you don't put us in, I'm happy to repay that favor in the future. So I, I do think that it's a little unfortunate that these players don't really have a lot to barter with. Mm -hmm. All they can do is say, you know, if you're in this situation in the future, if you're in a situation where, you know, you're a winner, you're already, you're already qualified for the finals, if you are paired with somebody who wants to go into the arena, I won't do that to you. Like, that's all you got, really. And it's very easy to go back on your word on that. And I feel like people wouldn't really hold that against you in a huge way. And also, if this game is going to change very soon, uh, with the finals approaching, and they should expect a change at some point, which, of course, we got a little preview that it is going to change next week, that, that, that doesn't really hold a whole lot of weight, potentially. Agreed. Yeah, I think that's why... I think less focus on strategy would be best because to your point, it's like there's just, there isn't a ton of strategic options because there isn't that many different levers you can you can pull. And even in a game, it's like one challenge per week. So it's like, not even like, you know, with Survivor, you have the reward challenge in which you can curry favor with other people by, you know, including them in your reward. There's just very little here that you can do outside of social game and then the challenges themselves. So yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Yeah. And for all of this strategy talk, uh, ultimately, when we head into the arena, they do choose Kylan and Kira, which seems like it seemed to me the least interesting choice. I guess that once we got the explanation that, oh, Kylan is part of this alliance with Tyson and Angela, and it's sort of like a, a three headed snake and we're cutting one of the heads off like that. That is somewhat interesting to me, but that didn't that hadn't really come out in uh, the previous scenes. So uh, I don't know. I, I felt like it was kind of an underwhelming choice. It would have been fascinating to see Sarah and Tyson go in. It would have. I think it was an underwhelming choice. And I think that at the end of the episode, when you had Kayla comment on the fact that uh, it seems like the storm is finally brewing or something, she says something to the effect of like, this definitely felt like a bookend of a section of the show where it's like, especially, which we'll talk about, but those scenes for 
I don't think that was scenes for next week. I think that was it scenes felt like for scenes the, for the rest of the show. Yeah, that was giving mid-season Housewives trailer energy, and it definitely seems like things pick up steam quickly uh, in the aftermath of all of this. So this definitely felt like sort of like. Well, you know, some of those survivor votes where it's like, you know what's happening. You kind of just got to get through this portion of the game. That's what this felt like. It was just like, okay, we got to just get rid of these two. Let's move forward. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the game that they're playing in the arena is called Ball and Chain, where the teams have to uh, reach up onto a tall platform to reveal various trivia questions, which all have the answers of numbers. And then they have to find a corresponding medicine ball which is tied to a chain and lift the medicine ball up onto this platform which requires two people one standing on the other's shoulder uh, in order to do so and correctly answer all of the trivia questions in order to win what did you think of this challenge i think it was probably one of my favorites of all time wow i loved it now i don't think it is fair it's not fair it's not fair it is not fair but i love the like the amount of twist to it um with regards to it being physical it being trivia based uh the fact that they have to work together um but yes there are a couple things here right there's the fact of like this is very much about height you know if you are a taller man or woman you have an advantage going into this um as well as the fact that, like, if you can't lift that, like, that that uh thing, you're kind of out of luck. Like, this isn't a matter of, like, do you have the will to lift it? Sometimes you just simply can't lift a certain amount of weight. So I did think that this needed an element of, like, evening the odds. Like, you should have to lift. The weight of the ball should be determined by your... Um, yes. By how much you wear, something like that. Like there, there are ways to even this out. But I absolutely love the trivia component, and I love the fact that the trivia component was like, you know, you had some that was like, what's the first letter in pi? Which it's like obviously you know, and then you have other ones like how many albums has Adele released, which like take a little bit more like you know knowledge. Um, And so I like the idea of like even if you complete the challenge first, you still have to then go back if you didn't get all everything correct, and then you aren't told which ones are incorrect. Mm -hmm. So then you have to not only figure that out, but then like, you know, you might have multiple ones incorrect. I just, I thought this was so compelling narratively and I I really didn't know where it was going or who was going to win. And it was just fun because again, you at home get to be like, oh, I know the answer to that trivia question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, the yeah. thing I thought was crazy about this challenge is like we see there's so many, uh, you know, very frequently when it's like an endurance challenge on Survivor, they design that challenge to the specifics of each individual player's height and weight, right? And here the platform was the same height for both teams. And we saw Alyssa and Leo really struggle with like reaching the, the top of that platform where Kylan and Kira didn't seem to have as much trouble. And probably because Kira seems like a little bit stronger than Alyssa, like physically. And also there seemed to be a height component to it. And uh, I just felt like that was unfair and it felt like a potentially an easy fix, although they don't know who's going into the arena. Like it does have to be built, but like there needs to be some evening of the playing field there. But I did really love sort of the randomness of the trivia questions. And trivia is just fun. Like, trivia is fun to watch. And I felt like we were really called out in this episode because Ooh. of that Spice Girls moment. Um, yes. For our non-Patreon listeners, the Spice Girls... Well, for our Patreon listeners, then also just Sean and I in our voice memoing back and forth, um, we have been going back and forth in a heated... Uh, debate about the merits of the Spice Girls. So to now, how did included, this come up? I, we, so we were we were recapping Snake in the Grass, the Trish Hegarty episode. I do not you, oh, know wait, it was something, how it came. Wait, it was up. something involving the oh, oh, it was the Olympics. Yes, yes, because one of the contestants had played in the London Olympics. Yep. And I oh my god! Just, I just how made a throwaway comment. <laughs> I made a throwaway comment that oh wow, then she was there for the Spice Girls' final five-piece performance ever. Isn't that incredible? And then Evan went on to lambast the Spice Girls. Uh, he called them trash. Uh, he called them. <laughs> 
flops. Uh, he, he said every disparaging thing under the sun uh, that he could think of about the Spice it's Girls. It's true. It's true. Um, I will say, though, since our conversation, I have gone back and been listening to Spice quite a bit. And I do, I walk back some of my earlier statements. I hold on to the fact that I don't think they have a robust enough catalog to merit their iconography, but I do think that I will take back the fact that I think that there are more good songs than bad songs, and there's okay. a lot more hits on that first record than I had remembered. Okay, um, I'll accept but that. But I thought it was funny in that moment how rather than just say, oh, there's five Spice Girls, they went yeah. down the route of like, let's name all five of them, which, hey, to their credit, it worked. But I was like, they kind of went the long road versus the short one. Also, it's like, who doesn't know that the Spice Girls, whether or not you're a fan of the Spice Girls, everyone knows that the Spice Girls are five members, like just visually, yeah. like you, you, we know the answer to that. And then I just wanted to call out my favorite moment of the episode, if not one of my top five favorite moments of the season, was that Adele moment with Alyssa mm -hmm. when she talks mm -hmm. about the fact that Justin Bieber has a lot of albums and that Adele must have more. There's something about, <laughs> again, it, there's just something about Alyssa's delivery there and her conviction and the fact that she brings up Justin Bieber as a reference and then only to get it all wrong, um, mm -hmm. like via her her knowledge of pop culture. Um, and also I just, it informed a lot about who Alyssa is to me that she's like a Justin Bieber fan. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, thank you for this piece of information because mind you, that trivia episode from several weeks ago, it was very telling, like, you know, who could name a Catwoman, for instance? It's like, yeah. these details help let us know. And like Ben, for instance, saying, I don't own a TV or whatever he said. I mean, we didn't need to hear that to know that, but you know what I mean? Like, I, I do like, you know, hearing who knows pop culture. It's nice to see, you know, several people be able to rattle off all five Spice Girls. Not that I think that that's like, a challenge. Um, so I really, really like that. It was wild to me some of the answers that the Adele album question, like I get not everybody is going to be an Adele fan, but every one of her albums outside of 19 has been a moment in pop culture. Whether you care or not, you cannot avoid it, right? And, and she has the benefit of her albums being named. And I feel like named by number by her age, right? And I just feel like people know, I just, it just blew my mind that this is a young person who is on TV, uh, who is a part of pop culture in mm -hmm. her own way, right? And she's like, I don't know how many albums Adele had. Like it's 19, 21, 25, 30, right? Like it's 30, just, okay. I didn't I just can't, I just can't But she wasn't comprehend. 30 when 30 came out, right? That like she like, she... No, well, she's never the age of... I thought she was 19 when 19 came out. It's possible, but I think the point is that um, that that the songs that she wrote, she names the album of the, the, like that time of her life. Can I be honest? <laughs> Thirty. <laughs> not my favorite album. Not my favorite album. I no, remember I was driving around when it came out and I, like put on first listen and I was like, oh my god, like new Adele, like she's here to save us, blah blah blah. And then I was like, I don't know. I think we were kind of fine as is. I like a few of the songs, but I do not think mm -hmm. it, for for how much hoopla there was about the return of Adele when she first popped up again. Um, I do not think this album delivered. And I kind of feel like it's a fart in the wind as far as like no one's still talking about the Adele album. No. Whereas like Renaissance is not only still being talked about, but like has a lot of legs left. Like there's a lot more from Renaissance to like still to like, I just think it has a long game in it that like 30 just does not have. Well, yeah, she has to, you know, change and re-release all the songs. Um, and then <laughs> she still has to put out the music videos, which weren't done on time. So there, there's plenty of, there's plenty of Renaissance material to come. <laughs> um, but yeah, Adele, look, like the career. Uh, I, I have always believed that Adele peaked at 19. And that's not to say, like, I think that was a very high peak, but I think that oh that's her God. best album. So good. And I think 21 is just below 19 and 25 is just below 21. I think that her, like, I, I think her, I, she's very good. I really like Adele. I've gone to see her live. Like, I support Adele. But I think that her albums have gotten worse and worse progressively. She's no Victoria Beckham, vocally. No. Well, Victoria's a one and done. Like, she put out a perfect pop album, self-titled. Uh, I have an autographed copy from when I met Victoria Beckham. Wow. Um, wait, from 19, though, Melt My Heart to Stone. Such a song. Yeah. A song. It's really good. Yeah, no. But again, 
Okay, <laughs> bringing us back. But how do you not know that? And then to know, I, I would never know how many albums Justin Bieber has. I would never know. No, it would be a oh guess. My God. I would have guessed seven or eight. I wouldn't He's want to be in a position in which I'm like, having he, to he guess, came out though. before, didn't he? he came I don't out know. It's like, I don't want to spend time contemplating Justin Bieber's <laughs> albums. Like, that to me would have been, like, DQ. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not yeah. doing this. But just, uh, but and, and then also... Is, sorry. Madonna's Marriages. Like, that one blew wow. my mind. They're like, so I don't is, know. She, yeah. she gets married all the time. Must be seven. Seven? But that was giving homosexual on the staff energy. As the question? I mean, where, like, that is a very... It's a bizarre question. It's, and it's very specific. Although it's either gay on the staff or, like, misogynist. Because, like, it could go either way. Um, well, no, because if it was misogynist, I think they would pick somebody who's been married a lot. But that was the whole point. When I saw that, I was like, well, Madonna hasn't right, been married Right, but a isn't lot. the insinuation by asking the question that yes. people would assume she's been married mm-hmm. a lot? So I don't know. Mm-hmm. But I really did enjoy that. I feel like there's, I, I, yeah, I just think this challenge had a lot going to it. I think it had a lot of stakes. It was fun to watch. And I think that it was one of those challenges where I was like rooting for everyone involved. I mean, I don't really know Kira as like a player on the game, but like, you know, just it was, it was really, really fun. I did want to call out the fact though, that after the challenge, TJ says that Leo and Alyssa won quote against all odds. (laughs) <laughs> and I just thought that was, like, a little bit editorializing the situation. Like, I don't think they won against all odds. I think people are really tough on Leo when, and we talked about this several weeks ago, when, like, the narrative was, like, no one wants to be paired with Leo. It's, like, Leo's come through in, on plenty of occasions, and I don't think this, I don't, and even if it was against all odds, I don't think it is the host's job to voice that. Mm. I think people would be perturbed if on Survivor, Jeff were to say that after a challenge. Not that I'd be surprised I feel like Jeff if he has said, said that. I was going to say. No, I know. I, I'm not saying it's something he wouldn't say, but I think people would feel some type of way about it. Like, if Heather would have finished something, actually, it's like, he would have said that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> well, I would feel some type of way about it. And so, and so many times Jeff has said, like, while, while somebody is performing in a challenge, either a tribe or an individual, this is the worst performance we've right. ever seen in a challenge, ever. You're being beaten by a mother. She's a yeah. mother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jeff has done worse, I think. Um I, do I have think, some oh, also, voice. I want to say, oh, sorry, before the voice, I, was, I do just want to say, I do think we've, like, struck the beat of, like, TJ being, like, gleeful watching the challenges and, like, laughing enough. Like, I think that we, we yeah. hit the beat, it's, we're good on it, all good. Yeah. Agreed. But I did appreciate Cachet's line calling him a little man. I missed that. Yeah, during the... Cachet actual... was not in this episode. No, I mean, we had a lot of absent, absent players in this episode. Yeah. Um, okay, we, we do have some voice memos, and I want to play a few of them. Now, I have been trying to keep track of the voice memos, and I have this just really bad habit of forgetting because I've got 18 things going on while I'm recording. And so I apologize if you have sent in a voice memo in the past and I haven't played it. But um, to that end, I have two voice memos from the same person, which I think both are relevant, but one is an older one. Um, So I'm going to save the older one because it gets to how the finals might play out. And I think that will be interesting to hear. But let me start with uh, this one, which is about... So last week we were talking about Uh, medical evacuations on the challenge and what happens. And so uh, Katie sent in some information about challenge history, which I think is relevant about medical evacuations and the medical team. Mm. Hi, this is Katie from Atlanta. Just wanted to give you all some, you know, challenge MTV, the challenge history. We're talking about the medical team and production and would they step in? And yes, they definitely would. Um, do all of that. But one thing I wanted to tell you guys about is kind of some controversial history with the medical team um, in that there have been three or four incidents um, in the MTV's The Challenge where they've had pregnant women not knowing that they were pregnant running TJ's final, which are very intense and very physically demanding and could be incredibly dangerous to the baby and to the to the mother. So um, they've had a lot of you know criticism about how well they are, you know, if they're doing the right physicals when people come into the house, doing physicals before the finals, um, and just like not doing a good enough job. So just thought I'd share that little tidbit. Anyways, love y'all. 
That is so interesting. That's so interesting. Also, so I, I what I am now understanding is calling it TJ's final is is a nomenclature. I think that's a thing. Challenge. Got it. That's strange. Yeah, I agree. We should call it Jeff's final tribal council. Mm. Um, yeah, I like. I, I really am enjoying just jumping into the challenge. You know, thirty nine seasons in plus. I don't know. There's spinoffs, whatever. Um, and there's this whole world, right, that I don't know anything about. And in some ways, I feel like I hope that we are doing that for people with Survivor. And I'm glad that we're getting that back now with the challenge because it's fun to hear all this lore. Yeah, and it's fun to learn about, like, uh, pieces of the puzzle, at, like, after the fact. And, like, um, I like the fact that we have listeners who are more familiar with the subject matter than <laughs> us, the speakers. I think that's a that's a fun perspective. But I appreciate yeah. the fact that people are compelled to call in and educate us in a way that's not frustrated by the fact that they are having to listen to people talk about something that they know nothing about. So I appreciate yeah. the grace that people are granting us. Yeah, thank you for struggling through our recaps. <laughs> okay, here is one about TJ. Hey, Sean and Evan, this is TJ calling from Brooklyn. And I just have a thought now that we have this CBS crossover universe. Do you think it's possible that TJ replaces Jeff as host of Survivor? And if we were to replace Jeff as host and it weren't to be TJ, who would be your first pick to replace Jeff as host? Thanks, guys. I don't see TJ ever. Okay, first of all, what are the chances that TJ is calling in about TJ? Is this the TJ? TJ? Is that you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if uh, so, and you said you're in Brooklyn, I want to hook you up with a stylist. <laughs> oh, what about his, like, oil-dipped flannel this episode? Uh, better than a lot of other things we've seen. The black ombre. It was not an iconic fashion moment, but it wasn't the biggest boot we've had. Hmm. Um, I don't see TJ hosting Survivor. No, I wouldn't I even... want it. I don't want to see it. I don't like it. No, uh, I also feel like whoever replaces Jeff on Survivor will be someone that is entrenched within Jeff's world and the world of Survivor, not like the Paramount Plus ecosystem. I think that there scares are... me though, because I feel like Cochrane's going to come in and host Survivor. I think it'll be a female, without question. Hmm. Um, I feel quite strongly about that. Um, but also, I think the thing that TJ is, I don't want to say he's lacking, but it's not a part of the challenge that we've seen, is like the psychological component and the sort of like those discussions that whether or not you think Jeff is great at them, Jeff certainly brings them to the forefront of the discussions within Tribal, whereas TJ's role, and actually, Sean, have we discussed this on the podcast that we heard, or rather you heard, that TJ does not watch the show at all um, and is not aware of any of the social dynamics or any of that. He comes in and does the challenges and does, you know, hits all of his marks and then he's out of there, whereas Jeff sort of, oversees so many components of Survivor from casting down to hosting the reunions, etc. Uh, TJ, for instance, does not host the reunions. So all that to say, it's like, I my sense is that TJ's involvement in comparison to Jeff's is much more minuscule. He's got a much more Julie Chen type of role. Exactly. Where Julie Chen does not watch Big well, Brother. Julie Chen, Moonves. Mm. Uh, I'm not. I'm not converting. I'm not converting. I'm just telling you, I'm, you know, I'm giving you her preferred name. I don't recognize it. I get it. I don't want to recognize okay. her most days. That's <laughs> what it is. <laughs> it's so funny sometimes. I'm like, as much as we dog on Jeff, it's like, and it's funny. Here we are being like, we need a female host. But then our sister show has a female host. And we're like, well, fuck her. Um, or at yeah, least but I she am. sucks. No, she I know sucks she sucks. Hosting. I know it's like not all women, not all men. Yeah, no. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, Julie, Julie, especially just like. You, again, you appreciate someone like Jeff's hosting more when you look at someone like Julie uh, and the ineptitude of someone like her, and you're kind of like, you know what, we've got a pretty good all things considered. And you know what? Survivor would be, I mean, 43 seasons in, the fact that we are able to stay with one host and not find him insufferable, I think is a credit unto itself. We don't find him insufferable? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't. Like, well, I feel. We can, he can be insufferable at times, but I would not yeah. say he is net He's insufferable. not generally insufferable. Yeah. You're right. You're right. We love to hate. Yeah. 
Okay, I have one last one. It's from Katie again, our resident challenge historian. And just given the preview for what we've got coming, I think it's important to set ourselves up for what the the TJ's final might look like. And Katie filled us in on this a few weeks ago, and I forgot to play it on the podcast, so I want to play it now. Hi, this is Katie from Atlanta, listening to your challenge recap, wondering about how they're going to get down to the finals when they have so many people left. This is my assumption because I'm a longtime challenge fan. I think that a vast majority of them will be cut because they don't make 5,000. I'm going to guess they'll probably end up with like eight people in the finals, which is a lot. But typically what they might do on a challenge season is um, have two days or two rounds and you have to be like in the top four or top however many to make it to the second round. So I would imagine that's how they'll cut even further. And then maybe you have like four people in the finals Um, No idea what happens past then. This is totally unprecedented, but I think that's generally how they're going to get down to like from the 18 or however many to four. Okay. Don't know if you cared or were wondering, but those are my thoughts. Love y'all. We care. In the words of Beyonce, I care. I care. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. And it seemed like that was kind of the preview we were getting was that this like this intense thing is going to happen day and night. Uh, and presumably and they seemed to be competing individually. I don't know whether that's going to happen next week, yeah. or whether we have a little bit more to go. I felt it was a little spoiler heavy. Hmm. Because honestly, I didn't watch too closely. So please don't point out anything that would have been like an obvious like this person's going far. But because I because I could not get past that image of Sarah Lucina as somebody's walking away from her and just making a disgusted face. Are you posting that on Instagram? I certainly will. I I thought like because I like to I like to make a post about the actual episode we saw but i don't think that i can overlook this because it was in the preview and we will see it in a future episode but like why wait we have it now i already made yeah. a jeff and yes i pronounce it jeff i may already made a jeff uh and posted on twitter but i think that like the screenshots shall live forever that is a that is an evergreen reaction shot for me so then if you do post it i think it was only appropriate that our emoji this week would be the female cop Uh, yeah mother (laughs) okay well i have no more to say please post the the female cop emoji under the picture of sarah lucina and We have a very great interview coming up for you that will be released next Wednesday. We are ready to announce that we have interviewed Earl Cole, winner of Survivor Fiji. And Earl was absolutely great. Earl doesn't do interviews a whole lot. So we were so thrilled to have him. And he gave us so much to think about and talk about, which is uh, really, really exciting. If you want to hear that interview right now, it is live on Patreon for our Queen Stays Queen tier patrons. Uh, That's an early access episode. Uh, And also, if you're a Queen Stays Queen patron, you get notifications about upcoming interviews and you get to uh, submit questions that we might ask them. Uh, We we did ask two from our Patreon to Earl and he gave us really great answers. So thank you for those. So make sure to check out our Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash drop your buffs for that content where we've also been uploading our video interviews from uh, previous interviews. I think our next one will be the Earl one because it's uh, relevant and I've already edited it. So you will see that soon on Patreon. Um, And we're doing exclusive recaps uh, and episodes there as well on August 29th. The Snake in the Grass episode with Sari and Stephanie LaGrosa will be airing. And so we will recap that there. Hopefully it is the final episode of Snake in the Grass that we'll talk about. We had a really really great conversation with Earl about Snake in the Grass that was very funny and very illuminating about how that show works. So look forward to that. Uh, Don't miss that episode by subscribing to Drop Your Buffs. Is Earl, that's our fourth winner we've interviewed. So it's Parvati, Sophie, Richard, and Earl. Got it. I'd also love to hear from people, who do you want our fifth 
winner interview to be mm-hmm. not including sandra just because i think we've teased the fact that we are in, con- in conversation with sandra about coming on or rather sandra yeah. has invited herself on. <laughs> yeah now we just have to contact her yeah oh wait we are working on we are working on a, a particular winner you know who i'm talking about i know of I know of two that we've asked, oh, that's and the true. one who I said yes about... and scheduled, and then well, her. Us. I wasn't thinking about her. I was thinking about the him, <laughs> the the himbo. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but we look forward to inviting more winners, runners up, and non-winners. And non-winners. I was going to say first boots, what have you. If you've been on Survivor, I was going to say we'll have you on. That's not necessarily true, um, <laughs> but we'll consider it. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got lots of great content. Plus, uh, the cast for Survivor 43 should be officially dropping in the next couple of weeks, I would imagine. They usually drop it at the end of mm. August, early September. So I'm Should we very do like, um, like a first assessment thing for Patreon? I think that what we are going to do is do maybe a live reaction uh, and invite our patrons to maybe a Zoom call. Uh, where we can talk about the cast and our patrons can also weigh in and we'll record that and put that out as a Patreon-exclusive episode. How fun would that be? That sounds so fun. Yeah. Okay, so make sure that you join the Patreon. Uh, Just so everybody knows, Patreon does charge you on the first of the month. So if you're thinking about joining the Patreon, I mean, you are more than welcome to. There's plenty of content there from August, uh, but you might want to wait until September 1st so you don't get double charged in a short amount of time. Uh, And hopefully we will have that uh, live discussion uh, shortly after September 1st for uh, all of our patrons and, and hopefully our new patrons. So plenty going on there, but there will also be plenty on the main feed in the lead up to Survivor 4. And we've got some really great people lined up for interviews, which uh, we really hope to get done in September as well. So, so much, so much to consume here. And the challenge is also approaching the end. So make sure that you're subscribed so that you don't miss upcoming episodes. Go follow us on Instagram at DropYourBuffsPod. Send us voice memos. We love those. And check out our Patreon. And rate and review this if you liked it. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.